Hello and welcome to another episode of the Abnormal Psychologist podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colby Taylor. I'm an assistant professor, soon to be associate professor at Christian Brothers University in Memphis, Tennessee. And today's episode is going to talk about death um, and specifically talk about how to talk about death with children. And this is a mailbag request from Talia in Brooklyn who asked about children's understanding of death. And before we get into that, um, again, I want to thank Joseph Jameson for creating the intro music to this podcast. Um, if you don't know this about me, I have no musical ability at all, so I'm super appreciative to him for creating this intro to the podcast. So thanks, JJ or Joseph. So today's episode is going to broach the subject of talking about death to children. And this seems to be a pretty popular topic. It's not, you know, the most rosy topic to talk about. It's a little bit depressing. Uh, I'm in a therapist Facebook group, and it seems like every week or so, um, someone is asking for resources on talking to children about death. And therapists and families all around struggle with this. It's a difficult thing to do. So much so that the NIH, the National Institute of Health, wrote a book called Talking to Children About Death back in 1990. And there's so many di different directions I could take with this podcast because there's different nuances in talking about death to children. There's talking about a child's own impending death. There's talking about the impending death of a loved one. There's talking about death after it has occurred. So basically talking about death related to bereavement. And I think that's mostly where uh, the interest in talking about death to children comes from um, and how do we sort of break the news to a child that a loved one has died. And it could be a family member, it could be a loved one, or like one of the articles I was reading and prepping for this episode was how to um, explain to children when a celebrity dies. And this article I read was how to explain to children in the United Kingdom um, about Princess Diana's death back in 1997, which seems like so long ago. I think I was in third or fourth grade when that happened. I remember it pretty vividly, watching sort of the news stories on the the, the car accident. And then, of course, I remember Elton John's sort of tribute candle in the wind that I think was originally a tribute to like Marilyn Monroe, right? And uh, coming out on the radio. And then also remember, I was a big Beanie Baby collector. I don't know if you know that about me, um, but I had a ton of Beanie Babies when I was growing up. And I remember having the Princess Diana Beanie Baby, which was super coveted. Anyways, so yeah, we could be, talk about a child's own impending death, talking about the impending death of a loved one, so a death yet to happen, a death that's already occurred, so like bereavement. And this is all going to change drastically how you do it based on the child's developmental level. Uh, it's very important that you put any information about death into developmentally appropriate language for the child. This topic, talking about death to children, has also sort of experienced a resurgence in popularity due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And there was a really good article by Rapa and colleagues. Um, it was published in 2021. And they suggest using concrete language. Uh, the Rapa article suggests avoiding euphemisms. It's hard to say euphemisms. Um, like, we lost grandpa last night. Children might understand that literally, that maybe grandpa got lost at the mall or is out wandering around somewhere. Um, so use concrete language. You know, grandpa died last night. I think often we try to soften the blow through saying, like, we lost grandpa or grandpa passed away last night. Um, and that could create misconceptions uh, in children. And death can be really difficult for children to understand. 
uh, watching cartoons with my daughter and thinking about watching cartoons when I grew up. Like we watched Looney Tunes when I grew up and I don't see kids watching Looney Tunes anymore. But Wally Coyote would die all of the time. And then he would be sort of brought back to life without any explanation. So it's really hard for kids to understand death when they're watching cartoons and action movies and stuff where death is not portrayed realistically. It was often thought that young children don't really understand death. They're not really aware of death. But there's convincing research that even young children are aware of death. And I was thinking when creating this episode, do you remember the moment sort of when you realized your own mortality? And I remember this really vividly. I was sort of laying in my bed in my bedroom, uh, waiting to go to sleep one night. And I think I was around four years old. And I remembered having like this oh crap moment that you're going to die one day. The only way that you're sort of leaving this earth is to die. And I remember having this really sort of philosophical, I guess, existential moment uh, when I was four that I was going to die. And I'm curious to listeners out there, maybe when you had this moment or if you've even had this moment yet, uh, sometimes in talking to, to college students that I work with, I don't know that they're necessarily aware of their death. Anyways, in sifting through articles to create this episode, I noticed four basic concepts about death uh, that are important to talk about with children. Um, the first is it's irreversible. The second is death is inevitable or universal. The third is that death is final. And then the fourth is talking about causality related to death. So let's hit on this first theme of irreversibility. Again, with cartoon characters, they're oftentimes brought back to life. And in thinking about this, I also recalled the scene in the cartoon version of 101 Dalmatians uh, where Lucky the puppy is born and he sort of dies or is um, on the verge of death. And then the owner, I can't even remember the owner in 101 Dalmatians, um, but he takes Lucky and he rubs his back or something with a washcloth and Lucky is brought back to life. He's revived. And uh, when I was two or three years old, I remember finding a dead bird in the backyard. And I remember uh, I'd just seen 101 Dalmatians. And so I got a washcloth. And to my mom's horror, who found me, I was trying to rub the bird back to life with the, the washcloth. Obviously, it, it didn't work. So kids really have a hard time understanding that death is irreversible. That once you're dead, you're pretty much dead outside of rare near-death experiences and what have you. The second important theme about death is that it's universal. And uh, again, there's no way that you're leaving this earth unless uh, you're Christian and um, you know Jesus being resurrected or Mary being assumed into heaven. Uh, for us common folks, right, there's no way that we're leaving this earth um, unless we die. Uh, so death is universal. Everyone will die. Um, Sort of like Game of Thrones, right? Is it Valor Magulus or something uh, that they say in D Game of Thrones? It's been so long since I've seen Game of Thrones. It seems like forever ago. Hopefully George R. R. Martin's out there somewhere finishing the books. So all men must die. Um, the third tenet when we talk about death is death is final. And David Schoenfeld wrote an article back in the 1980s, way back in the 1980s, uh, about how some kids struggle to understand the finality of death. And that... You know, let's say that you have a pet that dies and you have a funeral and you bury the pet in the backyard. And all of a sudden, kids become really, really concerned that that pet is going to wake up 
and freak out because they're they're buried under dirt. They don't know where they are. It's really dark. Uh, kids don't really understand that, you know, again, you don't come back from death. Uh, and a lot of horror movies present scenes where you're buried alive. And so it's really important when talking to children about death that they understand that, you know, uh, after a funeral, your loved one is not going to wake up and freak out that they've been buried. It's not how death works, or at least hopefully not how death works. Okay, so the final sort of uh, tenet, principle, whatever, when we talk about death is addressing the causality of death, that death is caused by many different things. Um, and most of the things that death are, is caused by are not your fault. Uh, so it's really important when talking to children about death that they don't develop guilt. So telling them that it's not your fault at all that grandma or grandpa died. Um, uh, and this is important because this might be where like obsessive compulsive disorder develops. Um, some kids might carry with them that uh, they were somehow responsible for somebody dying and then they might develop obsessions and compulsions, compulsions especially uh, to prevent death in other loved ones. So definitely address with kids that it's not their fault um, that someone else died. Okay, so I mentioned that RAPA article uh, on COVID-19 and talking to children about death related to COVID-19. Uh, RAPA is actually a faculty member at Oxford, and the University of Oxford Department of Psychiatry has a great website with resources on it for both professionals and families. So if you search University of Oxford Department of Psychiatry um, and talking about death, uh, that should pop right up. Uh, I'm going to share some more resources later in the episode, book resources. Um, there's, while I'm on the topic of resources, though, Alan Wolfelt has some great resources out there if you search Center for Loss and Life Transition. Um, Wolfelt sells books, and he publicly speaks, uh, and is a really good sort of resource in talking to children or adults uh, about death. There's also a lot of camps and support groups that are out there uh, for children uh, who are grieving. Here in Memphis, uh, our Baptist hospital system runs a camp called Camp Good Grief. Uh, the good grief comes from the phrase from Charlie Brown, uh, and Camp Good Grief helps children and adolescents deal with their own bereavement. All right, let's transition into some best practices when talking to children about death. Some tips. First tip, be honest. Don't lie. Children might feel betrayed uh, if you lie to them, and it might increase anxiety if they feel like you're being dishonest with them. Use concrete language. Again, avoid euphemisms. Use concrete language, uh, not very big vocabulary that kids will understand. So if you listen closely right there, that was my daughter Emerson. She just walked in here and then ran out. So I guess she just made a cameo appearance. Uh, anyways, it's important to be honest with kids. I don't know that I would be overly honest. I mean, I would use common sense and a good bedside manner. So I don't think I would get into very graphic details. So yes, if somebody died in a horrific accident and there was lots of suffering, I don't think it would be necessary to tell children that. I don't think I would get into the um, details with that. You just use common sense, okay? Uh, it's also important to show that parents don't have all the answers. Uh, parents don't know everything about death. Death is still sort of a mystery. So it's fine to say, I don't know, or here's what I think, but I'm not certain about it. Uh, along those same lines, 
it's important to show that parents grieve too. When you're talking about death, if you're sad, don't be afraid to cry. Don't be emotionally constipated. Don't try to be a tough guy. Uh, again, kids will model their own grieving behaviors after you. And so um, show natural emotion. Uh, don't try to be robotic when talking about death. Uh, when you're talking about death, feel free to consult a cultural or religious expert. Uh, be culturally sensitive. Go through sort of the cultural motions that you would uh, do um, in grieving in your community. Uh, you can bring in a priest to answer religious questions if you're Catholic or something like that. Um, but don't be afraid to fall back on religion or on um, culture when talking about death. Also be aware that children might have recurrent nightmares. You might talk to your children um, sort of prophylactically in advance that, hey, you might have nightmares about this or they are having nightmares. Um, talk to them and express that that's sort of common. You might also look at that point into consulting a, a mental health expert. Uh, also, don't be overly reassuring. Kids can develop anxiety about death. Separation anxiety disorder can develop in children. And they might catastrophize uh, um, your own death, right? They might think if they're not around you, something catastrophic has happened. You've been in a car accident or you've been kidnapped or something like that. Uh, that's very characteristic of separation anxiety disorder. And I think oftentimes parents want to be really reassuring and say, you know, just older people die or people who are sick die. You know, mommy and daddy aren't going anywhere for a long time. Um, that's not great practice. Instead, be realistic um, while still be reassuring, like still being reassuring. So I, I don't know that I would get into the stats about death, but you could say, you know, it's way less likely that mommy or daddy uh, is going to die um, because we're, you know, relatively young or relatively healthy or what have you. Uh, but again, everybody dies. We don't know exactly when we're going to die. Uh, so it's something that we're always a little bit prepared for. Um, and it's not something we necessarily worry about, something like that. I feel like in gen psych classes or intro to psych classes, people cover the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross five stages of grief, which have some scientific problems behind them. But the Kubler-Ross model is, you know, ingrained in psych pipe, pop culture or whatever. And it's the DABDA model, uh, or I remember it through DABDA as the mnemonic, uh, being denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, I think. Yeah, I think that's it. Anyways, children might cycle through those Kubler-Ross five stages of grief, if you believe the five stages of grief are scientifically valid or whatever. And they might cycle through those a lot more rapidly than adults. They go through the grieving process more rapidly. We might also see some regression in kids. And this is a plug for my season three, episode four on regression. So you might see kids have increased potty accidents. You might see them engage in thumb sucking. Those sorts of things uh, that are a little bit developmentally behind where they're actually at, uh, you might see those during the grieving process. So another concern that comes up a lot among parents is whether you should have children attend funerals. I think a lot of parents are like, I don't want my kids to attend funerals because it's depressing. And they're sort of projecting maybe their own feeling about funerals, feelings about funerals onto their children. Don't be afraid to have children attend funerals. Um, I remember going to my great grandmother's visitation uh, the first time I saw a dead body. I think I was four or five years old. Um, 
And uh, I remember that very vividly, but it wasn't necessarily a traumatic memory. And you're going to go to a funeral sooner or later. And I think the more you avoid going to a funeral, uh, maybe the stronger the emotions about attending funerals will be. So don't be afraid to have children attend funerals. Um, I think that that's a very normative exposure to death uh, and what death is sort of all about. Also, don't be afraid to have children visit dying relatives. I think oftentimes parents, and now my dog's barking in the background, so Shadow, my dog is making a cameo here. Emerson, my daughter's making a cameo here. Just everybody wants in on the airtime today. Uh, anyways, I think oftentimes parents uh, don't want their children to see a dying relative. Um, a relative in hospice or something like that. And I think it's important to be sensitive to the, the needs and wishes of your um, dying relative. Maybe they don't want to be seen in that condition by the child and they want that child to remember them as a, a healthy uh, adult or something like that. Um, but if it's not within the wishes, anyways, if, it, if it's okay with the person in hospice or the person dying, I definitely wouldn't shield my child necessarily uh, from that. I don't think that there's a very good psychological reason to shield the child. It might be important for the child's closure to see the loved one in that state and to be able to say goodbye. Um, that might be part of the process, an important part of the process. Um, speaking of process, allow kids to sort of dictate the process. Allow kids to lead the way. Kids are super creative and they can come up with their own ideas for maybe a remembrance ceremony. Uh, they might suggest planting a tree for a loved one, or they might suggest, you know, coming up with a funeral service for a pet. Kids are very good funeral organizers. Uh, they'll come up with a whole ceremony in burying a pet. Uh, they might want to read a poem or create a poem about a loved one. They might want to do an art project or go through old photographs or maybe even like bake a loved one's favorite recipe or something like that. Kids are super creative. Let them lead the way. Takes pressure off of you. Okay, let's segue a little bit into what about telling a child that they themselves are dying, that maybe they have some sort of fatal condition. And I'm going to put a plug in for child life specialists. Uh, child life specialists, um, that's an awesome occupation. You can go to childlife.org if you're interested in it. If you're an undergrad psych major, you already have some of the skill set to pursue being a child life specialist in the future. It's something I personally don't think I could do. But I have some friends and colleagues that are child life specialists, and they are awesome people. Very needed profession. Uh, and child life specialists are very good at talking to children about their own sort of fatal conditions. Um, we have child life specialists here in Memphis uh, because we have children's hospitals, but we also have St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, uh, which you probably, it's a great charitable organization Um uh, you probably see advertisements on television. Uh, St. Jude is awesome, and they do employ child life specialists. Uh, another thing I'm asked about a fair amount are, what are some books that I can get to read to my child about death? And there's some really good ones that are out there. Uh, one of the old school ones, it's actually going to be 40 years old next year, um, is Lifetimes, The Beautiful Way to Explain Death to Children. And it's by Brian Melanie. So Lifetimes is a great book. It's sort of in the old school canon of talking to children about death. Another great book is The Invisible String, and that's by Patrice Karst. Uh, that's at the top of my recommendation list. 
Uh, a third book that's on my recommendation list is I Miss You, A First Look at Death, and that's by Pat Thomas. And all three of these that I've mentioned so far, they're probably best geared towards middle childhood. Um, so kids, you know, five to 12 years old, sort of that sweet spot. Um, I'm not sure that they would necessarily be great for kids under five or kids over the age of 12, uh, but they're really good middle childhood books. Another good middle childhood book, uh, especially for me, you know, I mentioned, I think in a last episode, maybe that I'm a dinosaur nerd and then I'm hoping my son Rowan will become a dinosaur nerd. It's When Dinosaurs Die, A Guide to Understanding Death. And that's by Laurie Krasney Brown. A great book. Love When Dinosaurs Die. Um, uh, that's usually one of the top um, recommendations I have for like kindergartners, first graders, especially when kids are going through that dinosaur phase. And I remember actually having a teaching assistant, a teaching aide die um, when I was four years old. I was in four-year-old kindergarten. Um, she was elderly. She passed away, I think, over the weekend. And I remember my teacher sitting down with the class and, and reading us a book about death. And it could have very well been one of the books that I just mentioned to you. Uh, also, there's some great television resources about death. So I was sitting with uh, Emerson the other day. She's really big into watching Daniel Tiger Neighborhood, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, which is sort of a cartoon playoff on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And in this Daniel Tiger episode, uh, Daniel Tiger's fish died. And uh, oh, that reminds me of another book. Um, it's called The Goodbye Book by Todd Parr. And there's a, there's a fish on the front of the book. Ah, that's a really good one, too. Uh, but there's a Daniel Tiger episode that you probably, since it's PBS, I think it's open access. You can pull up Daniel Tiger death episode or something like that. I don't know that I'd put those search terms in because... There might be some knockoff where Daniel Tiger dies. But anyways, uh, in this particular episode, Daniel Tiger's fish dies, and they talk about some of the, the universal tenets related to death that we mentioned earlier in this episode. And that also reminds me of another PBS television show, um, Sesame Street. Uh, in 1983, which was before my time, uh, Mr. Hooper, whose real name was Will Lee, Will, Mr. Hooper was a, uh, a character on Sesame Street, uh, he died. And Sesame Street had this dilemma on how they would address this, whether they would sort of write into the script, um, you know, Mr. Hooper moved away or something like that, or whether they would share with children that Mr. Hooper died. And Sesame Street took a brave step in, they said they were going to be honest about this. Uh, and they said they were going to uh, tell sh children, share with children that Mr. Hooper passed away. And it's a very famous scene. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Um, where some of the cast members walk Big Bird through helping to understand that Mr. Hooper died and is never coming back, which again gets to into the finality and irreversibility of death that we talked about earlier in this episode. Like with a lot of things, it's good to be proactive in talking about death and helping children understand death and not just reactive after a death has occurred. So uh, try to teach kids about death every day. Um, use teaching opportunities, like when characters in movies die or when your houseplants die. Um, I don't have a green thumb. Uh, it seems like I cycle through houseplants uh, and outdoor plants a lot. Um, and so I have many teaching opportunities that I can use when, when plants die, um, when celebrities die. Uh, so it's definitely probably easier to educate sort of prophylactically, uh, preventively, using distant examples before having a case that hits closer to home. All right, so that's talking about death to children. Uh, let's check the mailbag. 
And again, this was a mailbag request episode. You can send re episode requests. You can send hate mail. You can send compliments to ctaylo 41 at cbu.edu with the subject line mailbag, and I will try to address it. Um, so we do have a letter in the mailbag, and the ma letter or email or whatever is from Mary in Seattle. And she says, Dear Dr. Taylor, big fan of your podcast. When I listened to your episode on The Body Keeps a Score, which I read a few years ago to help uh, cope with my own uh, CPTSD, which again is complex PTSD, um, I was reminded of a book I read with a similar writing style and reference to the triune brain theory. Um, I would be interested in hearing your thoughts on A General Theory of Love by Thomas Lewis, MD. It gives unique insights into the psychology of love from a biological perspective. Thank you for doing what you do and look forward to new episodes. Uh, I've never read this book by Thomas Lewis, A General Theory of Love, but I'm going to put that on the reading list. And again, I would love to do episodes in the future like I did with The Body Keeps the Score, where I read a book and tell you what I think about it. So we can sort of have a book club. So send other recommendations for books in. Uh, I'm a big reading nerd, and uh, I'll read the book and maybe come up with an episode where we have a book talk about it. Anyways, that's it for this episode. Um, I'm in the midst of the end of the spring semester in the midst of the end. That doesn't really make sense. That's where my brain is at this point. Uh, basically, I'm in grading hell. So I'm, I'm grading a bunch of papers. Actually, I really enjoy seeing, um, reading my students' papers. And uh, I find it super rewarding to, to see what th their perspectives on things that we've talked about this semester. Uh, but anyways, it's a very busy time of the, the year. And I'm about to uh, roll my sleeves up. This was actually procrastinating to keep me away from grading for a little bit. So uh, I'm about to go enter back into the, the hell of grading. Um, so until next time, take care and stay well.